welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Just to recap, we're in a series called Why Church, and that's been uh, talked about at our leadership level uh, by our leaders. Um, when the, as we went through COVID, how do we look as a church coming out of COVID? What does that mean for us as a church? So the various questions, and I believe there's still an email available for you to send questions in uh, about that and uh, uh, about topics that will be covered at various series on Wide Church. Last week, Pastor Josh preached an excellent message and three simple points. The church is built on Jesus, built by Jesus, and built for Jesus. I have the problem today of restricting what I've got to say to 35 minutes. Uh, that's my problem. They need to put that clock on me. I'm telling you. I need, otherwise, I'll keep going. Anyway, to begin this morning, I was reading a uh, story about a, uh, a biblical commentator, and he uh, was just saying that when he was a young boy, uh, he grew up on the Atlantic coast of the United States, and he spent long hours working on intricate beach as a pastime. In his mind, these sandcastles were sculptured in such a way that they were looking like major cities to him. But one summer, several days in a row, he was accosted by bullies. They came down the beach and smashed down his creations. Finally, this young man got tired of the bullies. So he placed rocks and chunks of concrete on the base of sandcastles. He built the wonderful sand kingdoms, he called them. He put them on top of these rocks and he waited for the bullies to come. Sure enough, the bullies came along down the beach. He decided to just drift away up behind a tree and waited for them. They knew where he was and he knew where they were. As they began to stomp on these, on these bricks, uh, on, the, on these sandcastles, their feet were cut up and bruised and they were very unhappy with this young man. He ran away. But he said this. He said, many people see the church engraved because of various dangers of secularism and politics and heresies and just plain old sin. But they forget that the church is built upon a rock, Jesus Christ, over which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I thought about that illustration and about how some people look at the church and think at times that it's a flimsy, flimsy thing that can just be pushed down and pushed aside and cast aside. And some people's attitudes at times about the church in society is they no longer value the church. They no longer value men of God. They no longer value the things of God. I always have believed in local church and the validity of a group of people situated in a community and having a profound effect on the lives of people around us. Pastor Bill Cathy has said to me on more than one occasion, Jesus is always building his church. And no matter what comes against it, be it COVID, be it governments, be it restrictions, 
of various kinds, I believe in the dignity of the local church or the value of the local God does in and through our lives as a community and as a church. The word dignity means state or quality of being worthy of honour or respect. And last week, Pastor Josh talked about the Greek word for church and he used the word ecclesia or called out ones, assembly. That that word is actually used 113 times in 110 verses, but 85% of those uh, uh, mentions are always about the local church, not the universal church. So there's an emphasis emphasis in Scripture about the local assembly. In Jewish minds, they attended a local synagogue. They weren't always able to get to the temple in Jerusalem. So throughout Israel, they would go to a local synagogue. So when Jesus, a local assembly, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Many other verses, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, speak of uh, coming to an assemble, uh, to an assembly, gathering. The word assembly or assembling means a complete collection. I love that word. It means complete collection. Phrases like when the disciples came together in Acts chapter, that gives you a picture of a local place where they all all came together. At the same time as being a strong community is a great blessing, let me tell you that that local church identity has been under attack for many a year. Demonically inspired attacks have come from outside the church and inside the church. To devalue, to and to divide. Persecutions from outside the church. Today, um, many churches around Australia are praying for the persecuted church. This week on Vision Radio, the Christian radio station, they were advertising to pray on Sunday for the persecuted church that Christians who are being persecuted all across the world for their faith, do you know what they long to be able to do? Exactly what we're doing right here. Freedom to be able to come and by their own choice lift their hands and be able to sing and to worship and to have some joy and to come into a place and hear the Word of God preached without any fear of persecution. Yet we in Australia battle to get people to come to church on a regular basis. Hello? Why? Because it's been devalued. It's been, it, it's been under attack. Have the dignity. We don't, in the foremost of our minds, we don't have the dignity of the local church anymore as a priority. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, it says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offences. Paul's writing to a church. And yet there's divisions and offences inside the church. Through selfish ambition and carnality, people have do their own thing and have caused church splits. And I hate seeing a church split. 1 Corinthians 3 and, and uh, chapter 3 and verse 3 says, you are, uh, For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? 1 Corinthians 11 18. 
For first of all, when you came together as a church, I hear you and in part I believe it. Even in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel assembled together, Numbers chapter 27, verse 14, it says, For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation. That's just a little phrase there saying a lot. During the strife of the congregation. The church of Jesus Christ is to be society, to demonstrate the love and grace of God and yet in terms of secularism and the rise of humanism, the church is under attack and our standards are under attack. You know, we stand on the word of God. The Bible, not a church of rules and regulations, but there are standards of behavior that we expect of Christians because the Word of God declares that as Christians we should behave that way. And backbiting and gossiping is not one of those standards that we uphold because the sinfulness of man causes the troubles inside and outside the church. as a church, to spread the love and the forgiveness and grace of God. And the number of images in Scripture that I've studied over the years almost are like paradoxes, but listen to some of the images. The church is an army filled with soldiers. The church is a family filled with brothers and sisters. My wife doesn't like being called Sister Joe. She thinks it sounds, she sounds like a nun. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're a family, we're also an army, we have leadership, we're to be mobilised, there's a war to be be won and enforced, the victory of the cross to be enforced in our society and in our lives. The church is also called the bride of Christ, but yet it's also called the body of Christ, it's a paradox. Two different things. How can you be the body of Christ and yet be the bride of Christ? Because that's what God chewed of us. And our role in in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, and and he is the head of the body, the church. 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. That's one of the standards we should uphold. Throughout history, the people of God have assembled for battle. The people of God have assembled for teaching and instruction and declaration of the Word of God. The people of God have assembled for worship. The people of God have assembled for national repentance. That would be really handy right now. The people of God assembled to appoint leaders and make decisions. The people of God assembled to seeking, as we do at various times through the year. And the people of God assembled to give and share and to fellowship together. My point this morning is what characterised the New Testament church? Should these characteristics be our example for our church today, post-COVID? The fact is the church is a work of... That's a paradox, isn't it? 
We get ordered in, we got, we got straight lines on our chairs. My kids, when they were growing up and we, were, we planted churches, my kids would go out and straighten all the, church, uh, the chairs in the church when we, we, before we started church. We, we have a structure of how we run our church services. We, we, we have an a, a, a order of service. But at the same time, it's a work of God. We believe that God is in this working in our lives. It's a paradox. The fact is, it's a miracle we're all here together. Think about it. <laughs> for, for the last 2,000 years, the church of Jesus has been assembling, but it's been made up of various kinds of people, even though the church is filled with various cultures and different economic status of people, different levels ending different people from different cultures and they bring their culture into church even though the church is filled with imperfect people with lots of idiosyncrasies. It's a miracle we get on. I'm a Port Adelaide supporter and you get on with me. <laughs> One man said, the church is like a cereal box full of fruits, nuts and flakes. It's a miracle. It's a miracle because we come collectively to do the will of God. He is the binding force of this church. He is the binding force of any local church. And in that we find dignity. We are important in this locality. The challenge for you and I today is maintaining our New Testament church. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 and 25, it says, And let us, not let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much so, or so much mo uh, the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return. I want to preach to you this morning. That's my intro, but it's not... Okay. Just buckle up, put your seatbelt on and helmet, that'll help you. Amen. The distinctives of God's church. And just reading just two quick verses out of Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. All with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing filled the whole house where... They were sitting. I want to firstly say to you, I've got a, a few distinctives that I've pointed out, and that's why I've said I've got to restrict myself. But the first one that over, is overwhelmingly important to me is part of the dignity of the local church is that we are a supernatural church. We are a supernatural church. In the book of Acts, the church is birthed supernaturally by the Spirit of God. I heard a man preach one time and his sermon was called The Outpost of Heaven. And he was talking about the church. What's an outpost? It's a strategic um, uh, uh, a posting or group that is placed in a foreign land that is not their home and placed there to establish a beachhead. The outpost of heaven. 
This earth is not our home. And just as we heard about that lady who's departed and gone to heaven, we are going to heaven one day if we continue to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, make heaven our home. But in doing that and saying that, this is a supernatural event to be in church. You and I somehow think it's just church as normal. But how can it be normal when God is the author and the finisher of it? That He is, that he is a supernatural and far extending beyond our understanding God. They were assembled in one place, but God came into that place. From, the moment these, from that moment, these people were never the same again. Why was it supernatural? Why is church supernatural? Because it's spiritual. You know, you can go to a university or you can go to school and you can hear teaching. It's about teaching. Go, go to university. Let's have a class somewhere. You can go to a, 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 a rock concert or go to a movie and be moved emotionally. If church is just about being moved emotionally, go to a movie, go to a concert. But if you want something that's spiritual, if you want something that's supernatural, you come to church. Because the Spirit knows that there is meaning to His life and that there is purpose to His life and that you and I can be somehow changed and helped and joy can fill your life. The work of God in people is supernatural. I came into a church in a, a sweaty hot box. It was a tin shed that was, that was A-framed in Darwin. It was right at the end of the wet season, so it was still, it was 100% degrees. They didn't have any air conditioning and a couple of fans. The lights were blaring, and I gave my life to Christ because uh, I was powerfully moved upon supernaturally. The lights weren't dark. There was no smoke machine. There was no uh, uh, man-made things to try. And I, I'm not dissing everybody that has that in their church. That's fine if they want to have it. But to me, what power was the supernatural. It was the Spirit of God. The church is a place where God wants to touch and move upon the hearts and minds of men and women. In 1 Kings chapter 8 and verses 10 and 11, this is talking about the Shekinah glory of God. And it says, And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the, the house of the Lord. Those of us that have been in times of Powerful meetings, it isn't powerful because of the speaker. It isn't powerful so much because of someone playing lead guitar or some sort of atmosphere that's been created. It's been a powerful meeting because God's turned up and He's touched our hearts. Acts chapter 4 and verse Paul says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with the Word of God with boldness. They were shaken, the place was shaken because of the supernatural element of the Holy Spirit and the power of God meeting them in that place. I'm sorry, but I can't do spiritual calisthenics every week. Come in and do our spiritual calisthenics. Oh, that's good. God's good. Oh, and then leave. I want, I want,
want God to move in my heart. I go through weeks, I go through weeks at work talking to people, talk to and doing my job, and I see the lostness of humanity, and I want to be built up so I can go back into the workplace, go back to the world, and have something to give to them. And that means I need a supernatural encounter with Today, if you did not come for a supernatural encounter, I pray that you do have one regardless. I pray that God interrupts your life. I pray He stirs up and shakes your life. And you get a bit of Holy Ghost shaking. Right down to the very belly button. Many times I've heard it at your hospital. That's because we're not perfect. And we come to get help. A place where the bruised and broken lives can be made well. A place where people can come and grow in the knowledge of God, in a spiritual community. One evangelist said, to him, said one time, he used to say this regularly, nearly every time I heard him preach, he said, I've come to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> if you get comfortable in church, that's not always good. I like a bit of conviction of the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I can come into a sermon sometimes and a person can be preaching about the Lord's Prayer and yet God will speak to me about healing. That's a supernatural dimension of God. That's God moving as He chooses when He wants in His church. Personally, I just can't do church as normal. I don't want normal church. I want supernatural church. And before you leave church today, I want you to pray, God, do something supernatural in me. Secondly, another distinctive of the church is that they stayed. <laughs> Acts 1, 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. This was a clear Christ. Stay here together. Again, it's a paradox he wanted them to go into all the world to preach, but he wanted them to stay first. The result was clear. Acts 2 and verse 1, our portion of Scripture, they did stay for the next 10 days. 10 days after the ascension was the day of Pentecost. And as they were in that place, the Bible says they were all together in one place. And what happened? God turned up. Acts 2.42, the results of that were also seen. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. What did they do? They stayed there. Can I tell you that faithfulness to the local church is important in God's eyes and is a distinctive of the New Testament church? It's getting quiet. God. You can be committed to God and you can stay at home in your jammies and watch all the shows you like on television or on YouTube or anything else like that. And you can praise the Lord. Now, I'm not condemning you for it, but what I am saying is that God has called us to be faithful to the house of God. Because when I needed to go to church, I didn't go to a cyber church. I went somewhere where I could find some answers and get answers for my life. Assembly of God's people together. And God moved in my life. Later, after the persecution intensified, 
The people of God were scattered in various places, but they still at various times in various locations stay together. Look at Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. Peter's been thrown into prison. It says, Peter was therefore, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Where were they? They were at a house. They were at a house gathered together as the people of God, laying hold of God saying, spare Peter's life. Over the centuries, the work of God throughout the earth has continued in part because the people of God were faithful to the house of God. Because they would raise offerings like we did in dollars to reach and minister to many, many souls. When Paul and his team travelled and evangelised, they established churches in various localities and later Paul went back to those churches and he found faithful saints. Do you call yourself a faithful saint? Because that means you get where God puts you and you're also going to stay true to what God's called you to. You know what, what another part of this staying was is that they stayed true to what the Lord had called them to do. Be the church. One of the first decisions a new believer in Christ needs to make is what church are they going to attend so they can grow. And people grow when they're planted somewhere. Thirdly, Serving. What's another distinctive of the church? Well, the, the, the New Testament church was distinguished by its serving. There's a constant picture in the New Testament church and it's, two, and it's in twofold. Firstly, they serve God. If you wanted to ask the church who they served, it was clear they served God. Matthew 4 and verse 10, in the words of Jesus, he says, Away with you, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I was uh, street evangelizing one time in Townsville, and I walked up to this guy, and I, I begin to share the gospel with him, and he says, um, what church do you belong to? It was a trick question. And I immediately told him what church and where our address was. And he says, well, the Bible says, I serve the living God. Jesus said, you, should, you cannot serve God and mammon or the God of, the Syriac God of, of, of money. Acts chapter 27, verse 23. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God whom I belong and of whom I serve. Belong and serve. The church is a place to belong and it's a place to serve. We belong to Jesus and we serve Jesus. Serve means to minister. Another, trans, uh, another definition was render religious homage do service. In other translations, it actually has the word worship. Serving God is synonymous with submission. It's exemplified by Christ himself when he said, I came to do the will of the Father. Serving God is loving him more than you love the things of this world. That's a hard one sometimes because we like our creature comforts. 
But do you love the thing do you love God more than you love the things of this world? Is there things that you could give up in this world for God? Serving God is doing all that you can for him with the gifts and abilities that he's given you. Mine's being able to spit four rows. You're pretty safe, everybody beyond that. You know. Now mine's, I, I've been blessed with an ability and, uh, and I fully look to, exemplar, uh, to, to put that into practice and example that to do the will of God with everything I've kept. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The first church served God through praying, preaching, bearing witness of the love of God, praying for the sick, healing the oppressed. And guess what? Psalms 100 verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. I'm glad I serve God and not the devil. It's something that's worthwhile instead of the pub. I'm glad I invest my time and my energies in people rather than things that fade away. I serve God with gladness because of what He's done for me. Secondly, we're called to serve one another. This is a distinctive of the New Testament church. Acts chapter 6. They've got a few things happening. There's a few. Uh, there's already most things happening. It says, now in, the day, uh, in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint amongst the Hebrews by the Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples, in other words, the church, and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So they appointed seven men. And they appointed them to oversee these people. The word servant in that, in that verse means deacon. They appointed deacons. People who would do the work, but also oversee the work. You know, there is a trouble sometimes in churches that everybody likes the idea of coming to church, sitting down, see you later, catch you next week. But not everybody wants to serve in the church. Because we are an entire good money sometimes to go to Nando's and get served. I tithe, I give me money. What do you want me to do in this place? The New Testament church and thus the church that we should be a part of today is a church where people serve God and out of their service for God, they would desire to serve each other. The early church took its responsibility to help widows seriously because they often had no other support. Is there people in your world today that are like that? The care of widows and orphans was an important part of Jewish life and normally the temple authorities organised the distribution to the needy, yet it seems the Christian widows were not cared for by the Jewish leaders. There's trouble in paradise. That's why they appointed some men to serve. The church appoints faithful men. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, it says, Through love serve one another. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And finally, I want to close this morning. Not long left. The paradox is that we're called to stay, to serve, but we're also called to send. The New Testament church was a church that was on the go. 
The New Testament church sent people. Stephen, one of the ones who serve, end up being martyred. Why? Because he went out and preached. And he preached it hard and straight at them. The Bible also says in Acts 8.4, Therefore therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Acts 8.14, And when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word, remember they had a problem with Samaritans before. This is the commission that God gave them. They stayed true to it. It says they sent Peter and John to them. Ascending church. The work outside of the gathering, the work outside of the assembly, it became a distinctiveness. You know what? In, in, in Acts eleven twenty two, it says, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. They were a, dis, a, a distinctive of the church is that they equipped people in the house of God and then sent people out to be the church in the community. I've always said that one of the signs, we, one of the best signs we could have in church is a little sign over the doorway as you leave the building, you are now, now entering the mission field. Every one of us is sent this morning. We've gathered to, to the things of God, but we need to be equipped and go out with the testimony of Jesus Christ in our heart that God's alive and He can do miracles in people's lives, that there is something about God that people need to know and that is His love, His mercy and His grace, His forgiveness for their lives. I was thinking about this. Modern Christians have reduced evangelism to be within the four walls of the church. Pastor, you're an evangelist? Just if we bring him to church. There is a truth to that. But the New Testament church didn't operate like that. They equipped the saints and then the saints went out and evangelised. They won. They won the battle over themselves. You know, the battle mainly with evangelism is with yourself. It's your own lack of confidence. It's your own lack of of feeling inadequate. If it wasn't for Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I couldn't do what I do. There's so much work to be done. And part of this church's whole ethos is to release people. Pastor Josh doesn't want to just keep you so that you can be released to whatever gifting God has given you and whatever ability God has given you. Every time we leave this assembly, we're sent. We're released as a church family into the community. We're released as an army into the community. We're released as a body of Christ into our schools, our workplace. The other day, one of of my friends, he's been, uh, you know, I I just said, I'm going to pray for you. And I put my hand on him and I prayed in the workplace. Cliff, and I just put my hand on him and prayed. Why? Because I believe God to do something supernatural in his life. One Sunday, one, one evening, William Booth was walking with his son in London. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. His son's name was Bremwell. He was 12 or 13 years of age. To the young fella's shock, his dad took him into a pub. Women were all 
drinking, smoking. There was, uh, you know, the, there was all sorts of smells and noises. The fumes of alcohol and tobacco were poisonous. He just remembers the whole sensation. It was the first time he'd ever walked into a pub, this poor kid. His dad drags him in there and he, he, says, he says to him, these are my people. These are my people, son. And he said, Booth said to his son, these are my people. These are our people. I want you to live to bring them to Christ. He commissioned his son. And then for the rest of his days, he equipped his son that he might continue the work. Last verse of Scripture says, Romans 10, 14 says, but how can they call on Him to, uh, to save them unless they believe in Him? In Him and left, unless they've, and, uh, sorry, if they have never heard about Him. And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the Scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. You're sent. When we dismiss this morning, you are dismissed to be sent. It's a gather. We are part of it. But there's so much to do. What is God telling you to do? What's God commissioning you to do? I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes as we finish this morning. Thank you so much for being attentive, for being attentive. I have a simple appeal for you today. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. I know His love. He wants you to find true peace of mind and repent. And that comes through repenting of your sin. He's the only one that ever died for you. He's that wonderful sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. But He rose again from the dead and He's alive and He's here. His Spirit is here right now. He's knocking. He's knocking at the door of your heart. He's knocking. You open your heart and let Him come in. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.